are now listening to an inspirational message from the Greater Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where Dr. Michael Wesley Sr. is pastor. Please join the service in progress. to keep me, never to leave me, never ever come short of his word. I've got to fast and pray, stay in a narrow way, keep my life clean every day. I want to go with him when he comes back. Come too far. <laughs> God Almighty. Join me now in a moment of prayer as we ready our hearts. Father, we thank you now for this privilege thank you for this day that's been set aside to recognize and honor fathers. We know that that is part of your great plan for the human race. And we honor those today, God, who have served us well through our local families, those who are serving us now, and those who will serve in the future. We ask you to continue to pour your blessing of wisdom and knowledge and understanding through the earthly practices that we are engaged in and help us to fulfill that role in ways that glorify and honor you. Now, Lord, as we come to this moment, I pray that you would lift again your human out of self. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Speak to us and through us in this moment. And bless now the words that are in our mouth and the meditations that are on our heart, that it may be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. With you there is a word, without you there is no word. Comfort, bless like only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank God. I wanted to continue where we were with uh, the book of um, First Thessalonians, but the Spirit of God led us to take this lesson today to the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6, one verse in your hearing, or really and truly, the, con the context is in the other verses, starting back in verse, in chapter 5, but I want to just pick up the reading Chapter 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to put a tag on this text and I want to just preach this morning from the subject, Fathers, do not provoke your children. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children. That, that actually can be changed to, to say parents, do not provoke your children because the original Greek word is applicable for both. It speaks of fathers because of the responsibility that's imposed upon the male man, M-A-L-E. God is an excellent manufacturer. He knew what he wanted done and how he wanted it done. I find it interesting as I scan the horizon of the world and see the difficult situation that we see all across the landscape. And what is that? We see children out of control. We see children out of hand. We see children doing things that a generation or so ago was unheard of. There were always those who were on the fringes, but not in mass scale like we're seeing it today. And it implies, no, it doesn't imply, it says emphatically that there has been a shift, not in the plan of God, but in the execution of what God intended. And that is the indictment is brought against the father. They have neglected to do what God had commanded. That is to teach children, to instruct them in the word of God and not provoke them to anger. You have, you have, you have so many young people today who are filled with so much rage that are loose on the streets. So much so that they'll just open fire in the middle of crowds and disregard anyone else who might be there. It's no longer a, a grudge against this one and that one. It's just wholesale anger and I don't care who I hurt. But that has a root somewhere. And that root is in what should happen at home. For 26 years, I led schools and worked in the school district and was a school principal and all of those kinds of things. And I saw my share of young people, but it wasn't nothing the Board of Education couldn't correct. But when they removed the Board of Education and turned the kids loose, then things began to happen in schools that didn't happen before. But they are happening today. The, 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 the context of, of this scripture passage, we, we would have to look in, well, well, the book of Ephesians in and of itself is a circulatory letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches, not just to the singular church at Ephesus. It doesn't deal with doctrinal error, it just sets forth the position that Christians have and the benefit that Christians have been given, the high lofty position that we've been given in Christ. And Paul reminds us all that we've had a past. And he said in that past we were dead in our trespass. But God who is rich in his great mercy has quickened us, made us alive in Christ. And, and because of that, we have now been created. We can recognize that we've been created for good works that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And he's put the stamp in our neck that we are the workmanship of God. And then he goes on to tell us that, that, that God did something in, in the finished work of Jesus. In the finished work of Jesus, he did away with Jew and Gentile titles. And he made out of himself one new thing called the church. And because we are that body and live spirit-filled lives, there are benefits that come to us. Those benefits include that we can now walk and sing and fill our hearts with spiritual songs and 
and, and speak to one another in those wonderful ways. We can worship and praise God. And, 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 and it impacts the human family. When a spirit-filled woman submits herself to the leading of a spirit-filled husband. And when a spirit-filled husband submits himself to making sure that his baby is taken care of. Then he gives instruction to children that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. He said, for this is right. And, and, and what does that mean? Honor. Respect your father and your mother. And, and the benefit is tied to you that you may have a long life on the earth. And I believe that a lot of young people have lost that long life opportunity because of disobedience. And it's not only disobedience at home, but it spills over into the schools and ultimately into the streets. And that disobedience has caused some people to go to glory before time or go to hell one. They left here. We've all known people who have grown up disobedient and they're not here today to celebrate it. The word of God is true. But then it would seem to me that if Paul was going to give instruction to family, he would have taken more than just the one verse. But he, 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 he uses a great economy of thought by condensing all that he wants to say into one verse of scripture when he says fathers. And it implies parents. Provoke not your children. Don't, don't send children. Deploy children into the world full of anger and full of hatred and full of rage. Instead, instruct them and teach them that they may know what is the will and ways of God. And so when we look beneath what is impacted in this verse we find some valuable understandings. I think personally that there has been, and I've said it to you before, an attack on the family. And the attack on the family manifests itself through the attack in particular on marriages. Now you gotta go back with me if you allow me to just take just a moment. When God created the first man, when he scooped him out of the soil and he blew into him the breath of life and man became a living soul, that was the only time that God brought forth a man first and then he brought out of the man a woman. All of the other times since that time, when he brings forth the man, he brings the man out of the woman. But that, in that beginning creating moment, he brought the woman out of the man. Because he wanted to lay down a strong foundation that the world and society would be built upon the male man. And, and if you think about that first family, Adam and Eve in the garden, they had a chance for almost a literal perfect marriage when nobody else there. Eve had no competition. Adam had no competition. They should have had a great relationship. But there was another creature in the garden who was Diabolos, the devil, Satan. And look what he did. He almost literally destroyed that relationship. Now fast forward across the years and the number of people that have sprang up in the world. Look at all of the competition now that imposes itself against the institution of marriage. So you got, you got all kinds of immorality now that imposes competition on the marriage. You, 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 got, you got sexual infidelity that imposes pressures on the marriage. You got a homosexual relationship that imposes competition on the marriage. And, and what's unthought of is in our world today, we have singleness that imposes 
pressure on the marriage. 20, 30, 40 years ago, 60, 70, 80% of people were either looking to be married or wanting to be married. Recent surveys today reveal that that number has dropped to about 44% of people that want to be married. But yet, at the same time, there are people who are single that still want to have children. And when they bring children into the world outside of the nuclear family, the way God sets it up, it imposes and implies a problem. Because... I mean, just to be honest with you, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to raise children, period, when you got two. It's hard to raise when you got four, including grandparents and big mama and a whole village it takes to raise a child. But leaving a person alone to raise a child in today's world is a very challenging experience. But, but, but God gave a formula he gave a formula for life. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, you know, the children people of Israel called it the Shema, Shema, where they said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your mind and your soul, all of your inner being. And then he goes on to say, in the, and you shall talk about this and teach these to your children when you, when you lie down, when you rise up. He, he said, put reminders everywhere on the hand, on the, the, the gateposts, and, and, and on wherever you go. Remind the children that the major influence in their life should be God. And the implication was that was to be a parental responsibility. It was to be imposed. It was to be taught. It was to be instilled by the fathers. Did you not read responsively earlier from Proverbs chapter 4? Hear ye the instructions of a father. And the, because in the Jewish community, in the days of the Old Testament and beyond, they understood that that was a center role that God had given for the influence and the direction of the family. But when we look around today, and I'm not critical of anyone, I'm just saying, when we look around today, the family looks different. When I was a kid, the only single families that you saw on TV were like my three sons and Bonanza, where Ben Cartwright was a single father with four honorable boys. Oh, yeah, they drank beer. They got in trouble. They got in fights, but they were basically good kids. And then the family picture began to spread a little different when they began to want to show two families, and especially when they began to change the narrative for African Americans to not just show us in domesticated positions, you had the Cosby's. You had a doctor and you had another professional woman and you had good children and all of those kinds of things. But look today. And what I'm challenging our thinking is just wait 10 or 20 more years. And what you might see then can be frightening. And if we don't hear these instructions and pick it up from here and do our best to regain the generations that are coming through under our leadership and under our influence, we're going to mess up the rest of the world. The Trust Pew Trust Fund that does a lot of surveys did a survey not long ago, and they talked about what is necessary for children to be healthy 
And they did this survey with the understanding of taking five-year-olds and six-year-olds and following them for several years to see if the surveys came out to be what they had predicted. And they said that in order for children to be quote-unquote whole or healthy, that needed to be a man in the house. They said that not only did there need to be a man in the house, but there needed to be an example of leadership that he demonstrates. And the third component is that the man and the woman would demonstrate affection openly in the presence of children so that children could see what it looks like. A kid is happy when he knows that his mama is loved by a daddy and vice versa. And when that is happening, now I do understand, trust me, don't misunderstand. I understand there are some circumstances. And the world in which we live in, you might not want to hug him no more. <laughs> and you might want him to hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more, no more. And so you cannot demonstrate that in today's world, but I'm talking about what the survey said. Y'all know what the survey said. <laughs> Put it on TV every week. We surveyed 100 people. <laughs> and the top answers are on the board. <laughs> So we put a lot of stock in what the surveys say because they have levels of validity. It is a scientific experiment that looks at empirical information and then draws reasonable conclusions. And the reasonable conclusions is that in order for children to be healthy and whole, they need certain things. And those certain things have been delineated and have been spelled out and have been placed before us in these ways. And so there are not only those four things, but then the surveys also say there are five things that need to happen in right parent-child relationships that give children a chance. And the first of these is love. There need to be a demonstration of love in the home. If you grow up in a loving home, you got a chance. Second discipline, there has to be corrective actions and there has to be appropriate rewards for things that are done. Now, in, our, in the house that I grew up in, my daddy just didn't play. He just didn't. He rewarded us some, but he was a disciplinarian. He had six boys, seven, and two girls. Man, and he didn't play. You couldn't come to our house and blow the horn and think our sisters were going to come out there and get in the car. No, you had to come in. And you had to go through an interview. Who are your folk? Where they come from? Where your daddy work? Where your mama work? Where y'all going? What time you going to be back? And all the boys were sitting there listening too. So home has to have love. It has to have discipline. There, there needs to be consistency. There needs to be some level of predictability that if I do this, this is going to happen. I came home from college one time. And in college, man, we didn't go out to 1230 p.m., midnight. And I was getting dressed by 11 one night. And I was getting dressed, man, and spraying on the cologne. And my daddy came around the corner. He said, where you going? I said, Dad, I'm going out. He said, boy, go in there and put your pajamas on. I said, Daddy. He said, you heard what I said? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> there wasn't no need to argue with him because I had seen it for 20 years. And I knew he wasn't going to change his mind. So I had to go to bed. <laughs> I know, I know sometimes that some of us didn't do that. Some slipped out. But when they came in, he was right there. 
The fourth thing that a child needs in a parent-child relationship, not only love and discipline and consistency, but he needs to see an example. You know, children learn by example. They, they gonna, there's something we teach. There's something they catch. And not all that they catch is what we're intending to teach, but whatever that example is, whether it be good, whether it be bad, they're going to find it. They're going to look for the example. And when the example is of leadership and of love and support and all of those kinds of things, that kid turns out. And then there's a fifth thing in the parent-child relationship is that that man is the head of his house. Now, now, now he, he, he doesn't have a, a wishbone. He has a backbone. And, and that, that is a difference when a man has a backbone, the gall to say no, the gall to tell the truth, the gall to be honest, and the sensitivity at the same time to be loving. And, and when a man is in a house like that, then those children will tend to come out all right. They will straight. We did. I did. We all did. We came from good situations. All of us didn't come from being thrown away. But there were some that did. Were thrown away. And it was that kind of world that Paul was writing this letter to. When Paul was writing this letter to the Ephesians, he knew the Roman Greek culture well. And he knew that they had... A, a thing in the Roman world called the Father's power. And, and in, in the Roman world, the Father had absolute power over his family. I mean, not only just the, the control of when you can go out on a date or not, but whether or not you lived or died, or whether or not you were considered a slave. A father could withdraw his inheritance from you and disown you. In those days, a father in the Roman world could even put people in slavery from his own family, among his own children. When a child was born, they brought the baby to the father. And if he reached down to pick up the child, to embrace him, the child was allowed to live. But if the father turned his thumb down or walked away from him, that child was discarded. And often discarded children were taken to the Roman Forum. And, and, and at night, they would come in and they would gather up the thrown away children and they would stock the brothels with those girls. And they would put the boys in slavery in other locations. That's what happened when children are not raised and are left to themselves. They become the product of the streets. They become the product of circumstances. They become the toy of circumstance. And they have no control over their future. And, and consequently, disaster occurs. So, so, so Paul is speaking a word. He's speaking a word of challenge, but he's speaking a word of necessity. For the good of the society, for the good of the community, for the good and the future of the nation. When he says fathers and you fathers and the impl implication and you mothers too. But he's speaking to fathers because they have the lead role. Fathers have the lead role but the mothers have a supportive role. In an ideal family years ago, it would be the father who was the breadwinner and the mother who would be the homemaker and the children caretaker. But that has changed in the world today. And so what do we do? How do we provoke children today to turn them into anger, rage-filled young hooligans and heathens that line the streets with no good purposes. What do we do? And how do we provoke children to anger? First, what you don't want to do is to provoke your children to anger. You have to create a delicate balance. 
Now, you know, I mean, there were times when I'm sure my daddy didn't care about making me mad. But he was also balanced in that process. So, so, so what do we do? What do we do? Here's what we do. Here's how we provoke children. Number one, by being overprotective. You, 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 you can't be overprotective of your children. You, you, you can't fence them in. You, 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 you've got to trust them. You, you've got to give them opportunities to develop their own independence. You can't make fun of every decision that they make and, and make them feel that they have no self-worth. You, you, you've got to let the, 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 the person inside grow up and come out. And so you, you, you've got to do that. God, God is the one who has the plan. And, and even though he trusts parents with children, he doesn't always let parents in on what his plan is for a particular person. But we trust God. And we have to allow them to express themselves little by little. And even when they make dumb decisions that we think are dumb, we have to be all right with it. The second way we, we create rage and anger in children is by practicing favoritism in the home. If you got more than one child, you got to be careful. You, 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 you really got to be careful. The scripture is lined with examples. We, we look at Jacob and Esau. We, we, look, we look how the, the uh, 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 mother Rebecca favored Jacob and father Isaac favored Esau. Tore up that family. We look at, we look at, at Jacob later himself practicing the same thing. When he had 12 sons, he favored Joseph, gave him a coat of many colors. And look at what it did to his brothers. It caused his brothers so much anger that they wanted to get rid of Joseph. Willing to kill him, but end up selling him. That stuff happens today in families. Third thing we do to create the anger, the wrath in children is that we push them to achieve beyond what's reasonable. All of us want our children to be successful, yes. But sometimes parents can make demands and insist that a kid is, is, is just all A's and everything academically or has to be an All-American in, in football and basketball and baseball and everything and we drive them to the brink that they can't even handle it no more. I, 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 I told, told the team this morning about a girl that I heard about that lived in California. She, 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 she was such, under such pressure by her parents to be an achiever. She went to UCLA, and, and, and when she got there, she couldn't live up to the standard that had been set by her parents. And she ended up in a psych ward, in a padded cell, and, and a, a given preacher went to see her, who knew the family and knew her well, against all of the restrictions of allowing a visitor in that environment because they said that the girl was comatose and all she did was just stare in space. But when this particular pastor went to see her, there was another bed in the room and he just sat on the bed and he called her by name. And when he called her by name, she responded. He said, how are you? And she said, not so well right now. And it's so much for the comatose state. The girl really was okay. What the bottom line is, she faked as if she was insane to be able to handle the demands. But then when they released her from the hospital, her unfortunate story is it wasn't long before she took her own life. And it was all because of the undue pressure to be successful. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we, put, we start kids off in, in, in beauty contests and, and other kinds of things. Or little league ball and we want them to be, have the most trophies and we want them to do this and we want them to do that. It's okay to expose children so that they can make good decisions but not try to impose 
and undue pressure for overachievement. I want to tell you there's an, another thing that creates that kind of anger and hostility and loss in children is when we discourage them. You know, parents, I, I, one thing I can say about my mom, man, God rest her soul in heaven, she was my number one cheerleader. I mean, even if I was wrong, she found a way to find some positive to say about it. She found a way to make me feel all right, even when I was wrong. Now, she, wasn't, she didn't mind straightening me, but she never tried to discourage me. And my father did not try to discourage me. Oh, they couldn't stand it when I was growing up playing the horn. I would be, because we had one bathroom and they 11 folk in the house. And I'd go in the bathroom and lock the door to practice the horn. And they'd be in line banging on the door, come out of there. Come out of there. Go in the backyard. And I go in the backyard and the neighbors come out there, go in the house. <laughs> but I kept at it. Kept at it to success. Came and mastery of the instrument came. But, 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 but I was never discouraged. I was never told, put that horn down. That sound like a mess. I was always told. Hey, do it. Keep it going. Another thing that fills people with rage and anger is refusing to sacrifice for them. Oh, man, I know we're busy. I know we have schedules. I know we have things that are important. But how does it make a child feel when they come and they say, oh, daddy, come go with me here. Oh, daddy, take me here. Oh, daddy, I'd like to do that. Oh, baby, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time. I ain't got time. I ain't got time. No, sometimes they even need to know that although I got this to do, I'm willing to put this aside and go with you or take you or do something with you to let you know that you're not a bother to me. That, that, that you're not an imposition in my life, that you are valued in my life, and that you are important to me. And we've got to do that. Otherwise, we, we send people out into the world feeling that they are, they are, no, they are no value. That they are no good. And that's what creates problems when they hit the street. Oh, nobody thinks I'm anything. Let me show you how. You don't think I'm no good? Let me show you how no good I can be. You don't think I can do anything? Let me show you. I'm not going to do anything. And consequently, we, we, you see, home is supposed to be an incubator. It's supposed to be a developmental station. And then we're supposed to deploy what we have raised into the world for the good of the world. But when we send them out full of anger and rage, and low self-esteem and no self-esteem because we have devalued their abilities and not willing to sacrifice anything for their good. We hurt them. The fifth thing that parents can do that sometimes build rage and raft in children is by failing to allow them to grow up. Oh, God. And you, 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 you got to let them grow. You got to let them make their own mistakes. You, you, you got to let them do stupid stuff sometimes. Even if you disagree with it, you, you just got to let them. You can tell them, but you still have got to give them some room to do it on their own. These boys were young men. Every year we go to the National Baptist Congress, and they find themselves in the youth rally and wanting to sing solos, I was on the sidelines. Don't do that, don't do that. But I would never tell them that. Go for it. And they were bold enough to grab those microphones and to go out there and do it. And I would be so proud of them. Yeah, man, that's the way. That's the way. We were playing, we coming along, man, in Little League Athletics, man. We put them in T-ball. And they hit the ball off the tee and run, man. The whole stand would stand up. Ball didn't go nowhere but to the pitcher's mound. But we were going, hey. You know, you, you have to allow kids to grow up. You have to allow them to make choices themselves. They can never learn. We can never learn without making some mistakes. 
Now, I know that as parents, we try to prevent major mistakes from occurring, but the only way a kid can really learn is to make the mistake. Man, they tease me now, man, because when I be cutting grass on Saturday morning, I get right under their window with the weed eater. That means cartoon time is over. Come out here and help me. And I put that lawnmower in their hand. The roads be crooked. I be cringing. But keep pushing. Keep pushing. And now they can do it for themselves. And they have their own homes that they have to take care of. You got to allow them to grow up. The seventh problem that I envision that fills kids with anger is neglect. Just downright neglect. Just, 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 just don't care. Just don't do anything with them for them. Don't correct them. Laugh at them when, when, when it's not funny, when they do stuff, when they say wrong things. You know, oh, he just look cute. That's so cute. That ain't cute. That's wrong. Come here, boy. Put your hand out here. <laughs> don't say that no more. Don't do that. You know, you tell children that, man, you know, they go to the stove. You say, hot, the stove, hot. They go, hot, hot, hot. And, and you tell them, don't touch that stove. And they go over there and touch it anyway. Then they learn the lesson. Hot, hot, stove, hot, stove, burn, baby, hot. You don't have to teach that lesson again. But it's the neglect. Nothing grows well by itself but weeds. Children are the fruit of the womb. They have to be nurtured. They have to be cared for. They have to be brought up. They have to be taught. And then the last two that I'll give you of what we do to provoke children to anger. One is with bitter words. When we talk harsh, the voice, sometimes in anger, yes, you will raise that voice. Yes, you will stomp that foot. Yes, your face will contort. And yes, you will get in somebody's grill. And that's a part of it. That's a part of the disciplinary process. But it's the crushing bitter words. It's intentional. Every time you see them, you're calling them out of their name. One year when I was principal of Woodlawn High School, a girl came to my office. She said, for the first 15 years of my life, I thought my last name was something else. Because every time my mother called me, she called me out of my name. And that stuff devastates children. It devastates people. You still remember that stuff when you get grown. And when you get grown, you determine, I'm not going to let anybody treat me like that again. The last thing that we do to provoke children to anger is we are physically cruel to them. Now, I didn't say don't whip them because the Bible is still clear. Spare the rod. Spoil the child. My daddy didn't spare the rod. And I ain't spoiled. <laughs> I got a lot of whooping, but every time I got one, it was for a new sin. <laughs> I'm preaching today because I saw what he did one day to my brother. <laughs> I said, okay, you ain't got to worry about me. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be in compliance. I'll do what's right. But physical abuse is, is something different. There are people who are cruel to children. I've seen people put cigarettes out on children. I've seen people beat children with ironing cords and with extension cords and leave all kinds of marks. That's why they created DHR and other institutions to protect children from abusive circumstances. There's a difference in that. My daddy used to tell me, I'd rather beat you, I'd rather get you than let the police do it. Because he understood in the era that we grew up in that the police was not going to have any mercy. That they would crack your skull. That was before we had any that looked like us. And so he would rather take care of the discipline problem himself. And so when I learned about this all, I learned in school that children live what they learn, that children learn what they live. 
If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns to be confident. If a child lives with praise, he learns to be appreciative. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to trust. If a child lives with approval, he learns to accept himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in life and in the world. You got to put children in the right kind of environment so that they could grow up with right stuff on the inside. So what is, what is the right stuff? See, see, Paul said, this is what you do, families. He said, rather than provoking them to anger, you bring them up. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You bring them up in the instruction and discipline of God's word. You let that become the major influence in their life. Not Mario Brothers. Not whatever is on, on the movie channel. Not whatever is on the secret channel. Not TikTok. Not Facebook. But the word of God. The word of God has got to be planted in the heart of a child at an early day. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what is it that we got to teach children? Well, first we got to, we can never assume that a child is saved. We got to make sure that they are saved. Children come to this world, sell all, you know, we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity. So we've got to teach children salvation. We got to teach them that God is the supreme God of the universe. That there's one Lord, that's what the Jews taught. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And thou shalt love him with all your heart and mind and soul, spirit. So we got to teach that God is supreme. We got to teach our children how to be obedient to the word of God. We got to teach our children by example. We can't send them to church. We have to bring them to church. We can't tell them that you're going to be all right. We have to show them what all right looks like. We can't tell them they ought to go to work and we never go to work. They ought to see us going to work. They ought to see the benevolence in us so that they would want to be benevolent themselves. We ought to see, they ought to see how we handle other people. Even when other people are ugly to us. And we got to use the whole world as a classroom. And wherever we are, we got to be willing to teach. That's what he said. That's what, that's, what, that's what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 6. He said, when you, when you, when you, when you sit down, when, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, you, every place is, is a learning laboratory. Jesus acted like that, didn't he do it? Didn't he do it when he had his disciples? Sometime the classroom was on the Sea of Galilee. And he would teach them, peace be still. Sometime the classroom was in the cemetery when he called the devil out. Sometime the classroom was in the church. Sometime the classroom was on the side of the mountain when he opened a bakery and a fish market. Wherever he was, that was the classroom. And we've got to be willing to make the world a classroom for our children. We have to expose them because if we don't expose them, Nene, Ricky, Riri, Pookie, Quisha will teach them and they will teach them things that we would not want them to know. But we've got to teach them. We've got to teach them what to do. We've got to teach them what to say. We've got to teach them how to dress. Oh Lord, we've got to teach them how to dress. The, 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 the styles have changed today. I don't mind telling you one more time. I was in a visiting city just a week ago and it came night, dark 30. And boy, they came out. They came out in their new outfits and all of the outfits were shorter than my coat. So if they raised up a little bit, you saw whatever wasn't there. And when they walked, the cheeks hung out. Oh, you know what I'm telling the truth. You know what I'm talking about. 
And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, girl, where's your mama? Somebody need to have checked you. You know, I know it's the style, but you can't put yourself in certain situations. You can't go places and be locked up in a room with a boy with shorts on like that and think somebody ain't going to say something or do something. And then we'd be crying, oh, he did something to me. Somebody got to teach you, baby. We got to warn our children. We have to warn them of the ways of the world. We have to help them to understand that all glitters ain't gold. The grass is not always greener on the other side. We got to help them to understand that just because he got muscles don't mean he got good sense. We got to help them to understand that just because she got a cute shape doesn't mean she understands. We got to teach them that they ought to look more at a man's G-O-D rather than his J-O-B. We got to help people look and understand what is right. Train them in the way that they should go. Let there be a priority of the word. Let there be a warning everywhere. Everywhere you go, when you wake up in the morning, talk about Jesus. When you come in in the evening, talk about Jesus. Before you go to bed at night, talk about Jesus. When you wake up and she crying, oh, I ain't got no boyfriend. Yes, you do. Jesus will be your boyfriend. You ain't got no girlfriend. Yes, Jesus will keep you company, baby. Don't worry. He'll walk with you. He'll talk with you. He'll tell you that you are his own. And the joy that you share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Oh, when you know the Lord, when the Lord is on your side, anybody know what it's like to have the Lord on your side? If it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be? Oh, he kept my enemies away. He let the storm shine through a cloudy day. Oh, God is a good God. I thank God for my earthly parents who are now seated in the realms of glory. Probably this very hour looking over heaven's balcony. But thank you, mama. Thank you for being a supporter. Thank you for being an encourager. Thank you, daddy, for having a strong hand. Thank you for whipping me when I needed to be corrected. Thank you for denying me when I should have been denied. Thank you for giving me when I need to be given. Thank you for being the kind of people that you are. I love you forever. I thank God for you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. God deserves all the glory. God deserves all of the honor. God deserves all the praise. Listen, God knows the plan that he has for you. Plans for good and not an evil. To give you a future and a hope. God knows the plan that he has for your children. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. But those children have to be raised. And then those children have to be sent out. And they have to be sent out with God in their hearts. And when they are, they'll do well in life. Happy Father's Day, my brothers. Happy Father's Day, sisters. Because some of y'all have been mothers and fathers. Some of you have been fathers and mothers. Some of you have been sisters and brothers. Some of you have been big mamas and granddaddies. But whatever you've had to be, thank God for the opportunity to serve. Oh, praise his holy name. Oh, praise his name today. You deserve it, Lord. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. Doors open. Doors of the church open. Anytime during the singing of the song. My hallelujah belong to you. Hallelujah to you. Doing the song, you can give God your heart. You can give one of my brothers your hand. You deserve it. 
Located at 2135 Jefferson Avenue, Southwest, Birmingham, Alabama, 35211. For a copy of a CD or DVD, you can reach us at 205-925-5972 or visit us on the web at www.greatershallow.org. 
for an uplifting message. Please join us for the next broadcast.